He is worthy to be praised. It's good to be here. What an awesome time. Never sing that song before someone gets up to preach. You'll lose your voice before you even get here. Um, hey, hey, where's my helpers? I need a couple of chairs. We're going to do a, a little thing here with um, Jade's before we start. Um, and Oh, good on you, Zave. Yeah, I'll have one too. You have one, I'll have one. Okay, up we come. Good. We're going to do a bit of a chat with Jade. So, come here, Jade. Here we go. In case you don't know, anyone know who this is? No clue? Okay, I better introduce him. This is uh, Jaden. Uh, Jaden was our youth pastor, was intern, then uh, youth coordinator, then youth pastor, and then moved to being our worship pastor um, for a while. And now Jade's is... uh, is moving his ministry, so he'll still be around occasionally, I hope. You better, because he'll probably get up and preach again. I'll be around. Um, so he'll be around, but he's actually stepping down from his ministry role. And I wanted to have a yarn to him in front of you guys, because for many of you, um, this is your son, not just my son, um, that he's grown up through this family. And what you see before you today is not just a worship pastor, but he's something that I believe is the vision that the Father God has for his church, is to see young men and women grow up through the church um, and become future leaders um, in our country um, and across the world. So, Jade, just tell us a little bit. We, got a few, we, we did put some, some questions together, but I'll probably forget them. I've forgotten them as well. So, so That's good. So, not, you're not about playgroup. Oh, here we go. So, just, <laughs> just tell us a little bit about your journey your time at Kalamunda Church of Christ. You've been here, what, 20 years? Yeah, about that. I can't actually remember when I started coming, probably because no, I was so you're young. because you were a baby. Yeah. But, um, yeah, been coming here pretty much my whole life. Um, just started, you know, getting involved, um, well, obviously with my friends and, and found friends in this place. But uh, one of the first things I did when I was really young, I think about even younger than 14, I, I don't even know, is we just got this like new light system. That's right. It's, and it's it wasn't even like, this is way above what we had. I think it had. cost me $1,000 or something for yeah, a light system. It was yeah. crazy. Like, it was, it was revolutionary. So I thought, <laughs> I'm going to jump on that. And Luke Basotti just sort of like handed off the reins. And he's like, you know, it helped me out a bit and, and worked on the lights. And, and that was the first thing I sort of did. Then I went to media. And then meanwhile, I was in the youth running the band. And I just sort of got heavy involved. And, um, and yeah. Uh, it sort of led closer and closer to the to the stage, even though I didn't like it. I never wanted to be the one singing. Um, never thought I had that good of a voice and, and um, didn't want to be up in front of people actually singing. I thought that was the worst thing ever. <laughs> and, um, and yeah, so through the, through the worship team, I think I started leading worship. My first, I wasn't regular, but the first time I led worship here was when I was 15. That's crazy. Um, and we wrote a song called Praise Above All. Does anyone remember that? And we recorded it. That's good. Anyone still listen to it? That's no, 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 no. That's good. That's good. I'm glad. Um, and because uh, you put that on YouTube, that was on YouTube. It, it never made it. Spotify wasn't a thing when that came out. No, so it wasn't. Never made it wasn't it Spotify. No. Um, and then yeah, got on the stage, got involved in the youth, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, um, really surprising to me as well, became the youth pastor. Um, and and the journey sort of led as well to becoming the worship pastor. And um, yeah, that's that's my story here. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I do remember you putting up the lights, and I think there was lots of nervous adults around. I spent this, hours uh, on ladders, young person up climbing up and down. And yeah. you used to come down, and you might not notice, but Jade's used to get me to drive him down to the church, like late Saturday nights or during the day. He'd always want to be down here doing something, whether it be the lights or whether it be the music or whether it be something. Jade's was always busy um, wanting to be down here, which is unusual for a teenager, but. Um, um, it was obviously something that was on your heart. So tell me a little bit about the youth ministry because you took on the youth ministry um, at a time where we were transitioning out of having and bringing in probably what I would call the professional youth pastor and we took a risk, the, uh, the leadership, in putting on interns. An so unprofessional youth pastor. Yeah, well, you were at that stage. You were just, you were green, man. And, uh, but what happened in that first year? Yeah, so it was... Um it happened out of nowhere where um, you and Neil Chisholm at the time um, pulled me aside and had a coffee with me. And I remember in Jack It was Jill, a good coffee. It's a good coffee. Um, and we talked about the idea of, well, I, that was the first time I heard that um, the old youth pastor was leaving and then I, um, you guys offered me an internship. And when you sold me the internship, it was sort of like you would be one of four interns. And then um, I guess as the conversation sort of developed, it was you would lead the interns and be an intern and lead the youth ministry and I was 17. And you've been to see the pastor too, I think, <laughs> stage as well. <laughs> and um, so I ran away from that for a bit and then it sort of hit me where, like, I never wanted to be in youth ministry. I want to make that clear. Like, I never thought that was a cool thing to do. I thought, like, yeah, I, I didn't want to be in youth ministry. And, but I felt that God was just calling me and I needed to, to surrender. And it was just maybe even just a seasonal thing that I needed to step into youth ministry. Um, and so, you know, as a 17-year-old, stepped on as an intern and, and, um, and started running the running the youth ministry with a group of about 20 young people um and about 10 leaders um and i had no idea what i was doing i remember i remember my first meeting neil chisholm so i just said like this was the day that i said yes to this neil chisholm we had like a leaders meeting and he's like um everyone rocks up at the meeting and he's like hey this is Jaden. he's going to be um one of the ones leading the youth ministry he's going to be working with this team of interns see you later and i had like i was like are you kidding like <laughs> What, 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 so I had no idea what I was doing. We just discussed all these ideas, none of which ended up happening. Um, so, yeah, that's my story. That's how I got into youth ministry. So just give us a little bit of a picture of that first vision or direction that you had for youth ministry back then in those early days. You shared it with me the other day. I don't remember what I shared with you. Oh. Um, the first vision I had. All right, well, maybe this is what I shared with you, that... Um, Tim and Mike, in that first meeting, Tim and Mike Albany, um, they just had this, this dream and this idea that, you know, we would be a youth ministry of 80 young people. And I'm like, cool, that's awesome. Like, that's, that's exciting. And I didn't actually think it was going to happen. Um, I didn't know how we were going to get there. And, and so we just sort of went throughout the years and first year came and we, we hit like the max was like 30. And then the second year came and the max was like 50. Um, and then we just really... I think by the third year, we really found our direction. We really found what we were about and like the whole full vision of wildfire and, and what that actually meant for young people and for us and, and the way we lead, the way we do our programs. Um, so by the third year, we had all this, you know, mojo. And, and all of a sudden, we started having services where we would get, you know, uh, there was one service in first term where we got 110. Um, our, our average just went sort of, it, it hit 80 in first term and then 70 and then um, 70. And then by the end of the, the year again, we grew again and, and grew back up to 80 and had a massive night where we had you know, another 100 young people here. 
And so I didn't realize until I sort of left after my last service that, um, oh my goodness, like what they said in our first meeting actually happened by the time that I finished. It was pretty cool. Yeah. Excellent. So, James, tell us, what was one of the highlights of your ministry, except for your, your boss, um, <laughs> what was one of your highlights of your ministry here at uh, Kalamunda? Oh, look, there's so many. Um, but I think the biggest, the biggest thing um, was, um, I remember I was sitting with you in McDonald's. Um, I was in year 12, and we were just having a chat, and you came up with this idea of doing, like, a conference. And uh, we didn't know what the conference was going to be first. We were like, maybe it's a worship conference, maybe it's a church conference. Um, and, and just like planted a seed and I'm like, we need to do a conference now. Um, and so that was when I was like 17, when I was in year 12 and, and we just went through youth ministry and that sort of conversation kept on having, like, it kept happening. We, we need to have a conference, we need to grow, we need to have this like really intense, like we can do this, there's nothing like this in the hills. Um, and, and then it sort of hit like, I think it was December um, 2017 um, when we were planning wildfire or, or even before that, we had this night called Disruptors. And we're like, this is an awesome night. And we did the night, and it was one of those big nights where we put a lot of effort in. We were in this building. We had all the lights. We had, like, those meter-long balloons, and we spent money and effort in, in it. And we, feel like we, we felt like we didn't really hit the nail on the head. We had this message that Jesus is a disruptor, that you're called to be a disruptor. Um, and little did we know that that was actually, like, that night was actually somewhat the vision of the youth group that we would step into the next year. Um, and so when we were sort of visioning this youth group the wildfire and and spreading like a wildfire and the young people carrying the ministry like they're the ones that are actually this is a place where they can minister to other young people um we had this discussion that maybe we should turn disruptors into a two-day conference like that should be our conference um and really like get in speakers make it a big deal and actually make that the pinnacle of our our strategic plan that would get all these young people to conference and would fire them up and send them out and they would be disruptors um, and so, you know, we set, the, we set the plan down, did it, called, uh, and just throughout the year, called up, like, some of my, um, some, some amazing youth pastors, some of my friends, um, John Mez, and he's a senior pastor now, Jordan Keane, got in Marksman Lloyd, and, and through this massive conference, and it was the scariest thing I've ever done, because I don't know, like, if you heard much about conference, but we had a really tight schedule, um, we had two buildings running, uh, we had food to do. We had, like, it was just this crazy big, big thing. And, uh, and the hardest part about it is that I wanted to make sure that I didn't have any jobs to do so I can sort of um, look after, like, my job was to look after the guests. And so all the interns chucked it on. The interns did an incredible job, really stepped up, and, and they really ran the conference. And I just remember, like, just looking at the amount of people that were coming. We had 170 young people. I'm like, this is crazy. Like, who would have thought when we first planted... Um, at that stage, it was only two and a half years ago, uh, we first started this youth ministry that, of 20 young people that would go to this massive conference of, of um, 170 that would... And, and the, the overflow of that, um, really, it didn't just make us last until the end of the year, but I think that was the moment where the vision of what God was doing in the youth ministry and the vision of where that fitted in with young people really sat in their hearts. Um, and they carried that out into the youth ministry and... and Ever since conference, yeah, wildfire hasn't been the same. Like we've had um, young people s- just step up. We've got Bible studies running in, in high schools as a result of, of conference, and um, 
and yeah, like young people that I know would never be the same because of the experience they had on a conference. So that was that was one of the highlights. Sorry, that was a huge answer. That's a great answer, though. It's good because I think that one of the things that we need to recognise is one of the signs of a good leader is the ability to be able to hand something on and keep on growing. And under Tim, the ministry and you interns, it's continuing. Um, so it wasn't just you; it was actually the interns um, and the leadership and. Uh, and I think that's the sign of a, a, a good, strong leader. So, Jay, just tell us a little bit about where where to from here. For Everyone's going to ask you a question. So what are you doing now? So tell us, where to from here? Yeah, where to from here? Um, yeah, so I just got this phone call. I think it was like the day before my birthday um, back in January. And it was um, from Shafin, um, this this awesome guy here. This is Shafin. Um, Everyone say hi, Shafin. And, and Jess. I'd just been chatting to some guys at Youth Alive and telling a bit about my journey and how I just felt God calling me out of Kalamunda and how the wheels are in motion um, and how I had no idea what was happening afterwards. This was like only two months ago. I'm like, I don't, I don't know where I'm going to go, what I'm going to do. Um, and I get this phone call from Chafin and he's like, hey, can we have a coffee? I'm like, all right, cool. Um, I've never, never had a coffee arranged like that, but that's cool. And so the first time I met him <clears throat> was in a coffee shop. And he just began to ch- uh, share this, what God's doing in, in his heart and what's, what God's placed on his heart, which is um, this church plant um, based in, in, in Osborne Park that he's, he's working on. He's got this group of people. Um, and as he begin, began to share, I just felt like there'd been things that God had been putting in my heart um, that I didn't think fitted into ministry, um, that I didn't think would necessarily represent in a church um, and as Shafin began to share his journey, like his, his passion and what God's placed in his heart for the church, and he's saying all these things that like directly lines up with what God's been saying to me. And I'm like, this is crazy. Um, so I just started going along. Didn't, like, didn't know anyone there when I first rocked up. Started making some friends. And, and I, I just started you know, being a part of the crew. And, um, and so what, what's next from here is I'm just going to be involved in... We're actually launching on the 21st of, uh, 21st of April. It's a 4 p.m. service and, uh, up in Osborne Park. And, uh, like, just the, just the passion and the atmosphere in that place when everything's on the line but also nothing's on the line um, and God's given you this vision and you, and, and you just go for it. Um, that's great. Yeah, so that's, that's where I'll be. That's exciting. So bless you guys. We're going to pray for the church in a moment. But let me just uh, ask you one more question, okay? Yeah. One more question and then we'll pray. Okay, ready? Out of the last ministry time, what is the scripture? I didn't warn you of this, but I know you have one. What's the scripture that, that has been a significant part of your journey with God? I, could, I don't know if I could put it to one. I, okay, I just, don't know if there's well, just one. Just, just pick one. <laughs> we don't want the whole Bible. We don't have all day. Oh, this is really difficult. It is, eh? It is. Um, this is why we pre-planned our questions. I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I just sit there thinking, you've got a scripture. Um, look, one, one scripture that's kept on coming back, and I haven't looked at it in a while, but it was heavy when I was involved in youth ministry, um, was this idea of, um, I think it's, oh, I, always get, I always get confused with another scripture I really like. Just, um, yeah. it's, it's, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. And I know that's like that's such a um, a young person scripture, and it's such like everyone gives that to a young person. But um, Joe Chang, the, the youth pastor before me, he gave me a Bible and he wrote it in the front of it. And uh, just throughout my journey, I just kept it like I know that in a head knowledge. And but 
that's also that's not just an like that's not an instruction to old people, like to 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 adults to say that you know don't look down on young people because they're young. It says don't let anyone look down on you. Mm-hmm. So it means the responsibility is on you to actually um, lead like you're not a young person. Yep. Um, like you've got that gift, God wants to do that through you. And, and so I think that's that's been a bit of my story is that I've tried to lead as I'm not a young person, like but still you know carrying that young age um and so i think that's a that's a cool cool little scripture cool little message encouragement for, for young people in this place Excellent. um lead like you lead like you're not, not a young person because it's not your age it's your god that defines your scope that's good yeah. that's good and that's the message for all of us so that's a, that's a good one jada okay well look i, I reckon it'd be great if we prayed for jade but i also want to pray for Japen and jess Shapen and jess um for the ministry of everlife and the the plant that's happening over there because it is part of the church in our city and it's great that Jade's is being part of that launch team um, but also we want to see it blessed um, and we want to see it grow because it's significant that we see churches all around our city um, coming alive and we stand with you as I know you guys will stand with us so how about you guys stand up and Jade you stand up here too and uh, in fact why don't you guys come up here come and come come meet the team can meet the team. Here we go. This is this is uh, Shafin and Jess. Uh, just say hi. Hi. How you going? Thanks for having us. This is my amazing wife, Jess, and I'm Shafin. Shafin. See, I get it wrong. Anyway, it's Shafin. Okay, let's pray. Father God, we just want to say thank you for Jade's right now. We want to say thank you first for this church and your body and your family because you have worked the gifts through this place to encourage, to build him up, to make him strong where he is weak and to, to in, in a sense, um, through the way that we live and the way that we worship you has inspired this young man. And Father, I thank you for him. I thank you for the ministry that you have done in him and through him to us. I thank you, God, for the sacrifice that he chose to make to you that you have used to bless us with. And we say thank you, Father God. And I pray now a special anointing upon him, Holy Spirit anointing upon him, that you will continue to grow that gift of leadership that he has that's all over him, that, that heart that's in him to see your church grow and develop, to see people come to know Jesus, to see people come alive in you. Father, would you continue to anoint him and equip him and to open up the doors that you have for him to walk through? And Father, I want to pray for Everlife and the, and the new church plant for Shathan and Jess, who we've just met. But God, I just really sense in my heart, just a real sense that we need to lift this church up, that we need to stand with these guys, because the enemy doesn't like it. But when we stand together as a church in this city, as we stand together as one, believing that the kingdom of God is the focus, and you will bring your kingdom to earth And so, Lord, I pray a blessing upon them that the church will grow to great strengths, not for their glory, but for your glory. And it will bring many into relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Go for it. Can I please just, I just want to say, I just pretty want to honour your pastor. Um, This, the the way that Jaden has been sent out by by you guys and, and by your pastor is such a credit to the character and the heart of this church. And for Jess and I, we left um, my father-in-law's church about eight years ago, and it was, it was a huge deal for that church. And so the, the way that Jaden is, is leaving 
is in is such a credit to you as a family. He's not leaving. He's been sent out. And so we really want to honour you as Jaden's family. And, and for us, we want to do our, our best before God to, to you know, to look after and cheer Jaden on. And, um, and we're, we're really grateful. Yeah. <laughs> We're really grateful. We're really grateful for, and, and we really honour you guys in, in what's happened as well. So thank you very much. Bless you guys. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks for coming. Hey, really appreciate it. Oh, good. Just give me a microphone. Okay, here we go. A forty-minute, forty-minute message in ten minutes. Here we go. Father, just want to pray now that your word right now will come alive. It is the living Word of God. It is the inspired Word of God. It is God-breathed. And we would say, Holy Spirit, would you breathe it through life into us in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me just, uh, I want to just talk a little bit. I'm not going to talk long today, but I was just really excited about this scripture. But it's been a real pain because I've been digging it and digging it and, and wasn't really sure where to go. So, But what I'm going to do is I want to lead you to what I think this scripture is saying to us. And it's about going deeper into Jesus. Last week, Jaden stole my sermon, um, which is a real pain. Um, but I sit there listening and thinking, yep, yeah, but you want to, you, you're calling the church not just to be here, but to go deep in Him. Remember our theme this year is to be in Christ. It's not just to know about Christ. It's not just about believing in Christ. It's about being in in Christ. And that's very different. The other day I, um, I had the pleasure, I told you I'd dob you in Chris, I had the pleasure of going for a drive with Chris Winter. See, he turned up at a meeting and I noticed after the meeting there was this beautiful new Porsche parked in the driveway of the church. And I went, man, is that yours? And he goes, yeah, 2007 Porsche. So it's not, but it's done 50,000 Ks, right? And I'm like, man, here I am walking around this Porsche dribbling, leaving stains on it. And he said, would you like to go for a drive? Well, the little boy would be saying, why haven't you asked me sooner? So I said, sure, let's go for a drive, Chris. So we went for a drive. Now, it was interesting watching Chris drive a Porsche. It's like he's in that car. And he, on his face, is saying, we're going to eat dust. We are going to take this. And he's revving that thing up. It's got a beautiful little rumble to it, right? And so we, we rumble out of the driveway. And all the time you could feel like his, his foot was just really wanting just to show me what it's made of. And he's just sort of shaking a little bit. And we get out the driveway and the whole time it's like he wants to accelerate, but he can't accelerate. So he said, where can we go? I said, there's a nice long straight road just down the back here. So we went down the long straight road down the back here and we're driving it all the time. It's sort of like he's going from zero to 60, zero to 60, zero to 60 because he can't go any further. And you could see the frustration in the poor man. It's like, I've got this engine under my bonnet, unlike Jaden last week who said, here's the car that looked like it had power but had no power because it only had a 1300cc engine in it. Well, this car... How many cc's? 3.4 cc's under the bonnet. It's made for speed. It wants to do speed. It looks like speed. It's got a driver behind the steering wheel that wants it to do speed, but it can't because there's these signs up that says 80 k's an hour, 60 k's an hour, 
50 k's an hour. <laughs> Let's get out and walk. And so, <laughs> and, and it made me think about how sometimes there are things that hold us back from fulfilling our potential. In this case, it was safety reasons. Um, but in other cases, it might be something else. But I wonder what would hold you back from being everything that God has called us to be. Because you see, he has given us a big engine, as Jaden said last week. But there's things that tend to hold us back. It was interesting because I did note, I did make note, Chris, that he didn't invite me to drive. Not that I wanted to, but in fact, I noted you didn't ask me to take a, the steering wheel. And I got a feeling I know why. I got a funny feeling. Two reasons. One. He knows what my bank account couldn't afford the repairs I'm likely to have to do if I pranked it. And secondly, that he probably thought, I don't want to embarrass my car. I don't want to have this old man sitting there, puts the seatbelt on, checks the mirrors, two hands on the steering wheel. Because I noticed that, that Chris drives a little bit different. You see, Chris has one hand on the steering wheel, pushed back in the seat, one hand on the gear stick, and he's off, Right? Well, Steve, push, pull, steering, round the corners. I think it might have been embarrassing to take a push like that. You see, God wants to entrust you to drive his kingdom on this earth. You see, it's a big kingdom. There's a big power. And you and I have been given the driver's seat. He's entrusted us. But I found this scripture that made me question whether he had. See, in John 2, there's these three verses that confuses me. It confuses me and I was going to jump over it because we've already done John 1. We've looked at he was the word and the word became flesh. And we looked at the disciples who came and followed him. There was Philip and Nathaniel. You remember those stories. And then we went into Jesus being at the wedding and he turns water into wine. But he makes sure that, that he wasn't publicly glorified. He was only quietly glorified by the disciples. And now we come, and then he goes to the temple, remember that? And he tips the, again, just wanting to say, I'm here to build a new temple. This is a new temple coming. I'm the temple, now you're the temple. But now he comes to Nicodemus in chapter 3, which Jade spoke about last week. But there's a problem. There were three verses that didn't make sense in the flow. And I had to keep reading it and reading it and reading it until I realized that we've put the chapters in the wrong place. Have a look at this. Let's go to John. John 2. Go down to verse 23. And let me read it to you. It says, Because of the miraculous signs Jesus did in Jerusalem at the Passover celebration, many began to trust in him. Many began to trust him. In fact, New King James, I think I've got up there, says many believed in him. That's probably one translation of this particular word was to believe, to trust, or to have faith. But they believed in him. But then look what it says. Verse 24. But Jesus didn't, in some translation it uses the word believe again. In others it says entrust. In this one it says, but Jesus didn't trust them. Because he knew human nature. That's weird. 
they believed, but Jesus did not, in some versions say, entrust himself to them. Does that, that cause confusion for you? I mean, doesn't it say, believe and you are saved? Doesn't it just say you've just got to believe? And yet here these guys were believing, and yet Jesus says, I wouldn't entrust myself to them. I wouldn't trust them in the driver's seat of the Porsche. And I think that was quite wisdom, actually. I think you showed a lot of wisdom. Um, but you wouldn't try, and I, and I find that kind of strange, unless you understand what comes next. I want to just stop at that part there and go, what was Jesus' concern about? His concern was their heart condition and their motive for what they were believing. You see, I, w- I, think G- I think John wants us to move from believing in the signs to believing in the person. You see, if you look at the first few, they believe because of the signs. They believe because of the miracles. They believe. But look at the purpose of the book of John. John 20. And it says, I haven't got the slide up there and my power thing just went off. So I've just got to remember my password. Hang on. Here we go. In John 20, it says this. John 20. It says, which is the purpose that we keep going back to. But I'm going to read it to you. Make sure I get it right. Right. It says, and I can't find it. John 20. Here we go. No, I can't even find it. There we go. But these are written. He says in John 20, verse 11, 31, he says, But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. In other words, this is the purpose of the whole book is to move you from believing just that he was, the miracles were authentic and it proved that he was Jesus to the point where you actually believed in him. There's a movement from, and I think sometimes the thing that holds us back is what do we believe in? The thing that holds us back from those signs that are putting up are the things that are holding us back because we're focusing on the signs rather than on the person. You see, there's a number of different faiths that we can I see operating. There's those people who have an inherited faith. You know, you're a young guy brought up in, or girl, and you've been brought up in the church, and you've always gone to church, and you've done Sunday school, so you know the stories, and you carry on, and you, you, you end up going to church every Sunday, and you go to youth group, and you become a member of the youth group, and then you ask to be a leader of the youth group, and so you get to know, know the Bible a little bit better, and you know how to pray the good prayers, and you do all that stuff, and you end up having an inherited faith. And there's a belief, but is Jesus in my everyday life? Or then there's the well-worn faith, the one that just feels comfortable. See, I'm a Christian. Yeah, I'm a Christian. I believe. I'm a Christian. And I, and I say it because it's a well-worn piece of garment that I don't want to get rid of. You've had those, right? 
a pair of jeans you just don't want to get rid of. And sometimes we've got those. Sometimes we are Christians because we're Christians, because we're just Christians, because we, yeah, we believe in the Bible and we're just Christians. But you see, Jesus is calling us. John is wanting us not just to be a Christian, but to be in Christ. There's a really big difference. It's a huge difference. Or then sometimes there's the borrowed faith. We believe because our friends believe and it's part of being part of the club. And if I'm part of the club, I'm part of the group. And so all the group, and it becomes a peer group pressure faith rather than a personal faith. And so we wonder why I'm not getting all the goods that everybody else gets. I was with a pastor the other day and, and a friend of mine, and he was saying, oh, Steve, God's just doing amazing things. And I'm going, that's so cool. And on the inside, I'm going, that's not fair. And then he says, oh, I, I got a $100,000 check just put in the offering. God just blessed us. And I'm going, rat bag. I could do with that right now. And it, was, and it was like, why is God blessing him and not blessing me? But maybe he is. And I haven't seen it because I'm looking at the signs. And I'm looking at the results rather than looking at the person. Because Jesus wants us to look at him and to be in Christ and to live in Christ. So I go through this and I'm going to run through this. I had a few more things to say because I think the first thing that we need to understand is that he first of all said, I'm looking at your heart. You see, Jesus starts with the heart and he wants to live in our hearts. He wants us to be in love with him as he is in love with you. That's a heart relationship. And he wants us to start with the heart. And this last week, God has been taking me through a place of just being still with him and saying, I want to check your heart out, Steve. And sometimes he has to break us and make us into rubble so we can actually discover what our real heart is. And the question is, Jesus knows your heart. He knows our heart. And it's in the heart where he starts. And then he goes on, not only about your heart, he then, I want to just talk a little bit about what, what I think it means to be in Christ. Because remember, he starts off by saying, I don't trust them. And then John goes straight into the story of Nicodemus. And after Nicodemus, and he's talking to Nicodemus, he comes up with the verse that everybody knows. Even non-church people know this verse. So he says, Nicodemus, you're doing all the right things. You're going to church every week. You're doing all the religious stuff. It's really good, but you've got to be born again because I've got to get to the heart. I want to be in your life. I don't just want to be about your life. And so then he says, Nicodemus, let me tell you something. John 3, 16. Everybody knows it. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world but to save the world through him. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him. But anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one 
and only son. It's believing in God's one and only son. Not believing in the signs. Not believing in the surface stuff. Not just believing in the cream on the top. It's actually believing in Jesus is the son of God. And the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, but people loved the darkness more than the light. For their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for fear their sins will be exposed. But those who do what is right come to the light so others can see they are doing what God wants. The first thing I find in that is being in Christ. I'm just going to go through this fairly quickly. But the first thing is he says, those who believe in me will have eternal life. We have gone too quickly to describe that as being that you are going to go to heaven when you die. It's not. It's much bigger than that. See, eternal life starts now. He says, I want to give you life right now. Eternal life starts at the, right now and goes on forever. The life that Jesus wants us to have when we are in Christ is every day. It's not a futuristic ticket to heaven. It's actually living with him now. Why? Because Jesus is life. Remember back in the Garden of Eden, they gave life. They breathed life into man. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were there. And he's the one who come to give you life. Is your life feeling a bit dull? Are you living life to the full? Because you see, Jesus said, in me, I give you life. Abundant life. Is your life feel dark at the moment? Is your life feeling hard and depressed and everything's bad? Because he said, that's not the life I came to give you. I've come to give you life today. Living in Christ is more than going through the rituals. It's about knowing the life that he gives, the new life that he gives. But this is the one I just really want to hit on because I think this is a word for us today. Because then Jesus goes in to talk about, for there is no judgment. This week I was uh, in my prayer time up on the mountain, up here, and I was praying and I was just meditating on some scriptures. And I was going through that verse in Ezekiel. And if anyone's doing the fast at the moment, you would have got my blog, I think, or my notes about that. But the idea was I was up there and I was thinking about that scripture that says, this is the fast that I require that you would release the captives, that you would set them free, that you would set those that are bound up free. And it goes on about caring for the poor. And I thought about that. And I thought, we've read that as though, well, you shouldn't fast, you should do this. But it's saying, no, when you're fasting, this is the fast I require to set people free. And I thought, Lord, who do I set free? Who is it that I've set free? Who do, I, I, there's no one around me that's in prison. Who do I go and set free? Who do I actually release the chains of? And it was like all those people that you put judgment on. You see, when we put judgment on people, the word judgment actually means to separate. When I judge, see, that's why the judgment of God to us separates us. So the judgment's got to come off so the separation disappears. The court, the judge gets up there and he rules that you have done something wrong. And what happens? He separates you and puts you in prison outside of, of society. He separates. 
when we make judgment calls, when we set up judgments on each other, we actually bind each other up. We separate them. We put them into little boxes. And I said, Lord, who am I judging? Let's go through the names of all the people I've been judging and I've been binding up in my opinion and saying, oh, they're like this and they're like that and they should do this and they should do that. And, and we have all this stuff. And you know what? We put chains on each other. And Jesus came to set the captives free. So he wants to break those chains off you. But I said, Lord, who is it? And without, it came as quickly as anything to me. And that's why I think I believe it was God. It was says, Steve, you're judging yourself. You're judging yourself. You're binding yourself up. I want to tell you now, most of us, our worst critics are ourselves. Most of us, our worst judges are ourselves. How many of you looked in the mirror this morning and thought, oh. How many of you get a photograph, right? I've got a family photograph. I was going to put it up. My family met the other week. 117 of my family, from my siblings to their partners to their children and their grandchildren. 117 of us, all in one camp. And we took a photograph. And this photograph comes up. And where's the first person I look for? Me. Why am I looking for me? Because I want to see how I look. I want to check out that my hair's right. I want to check out that my glasses are on straight. I want to check out and I go, oh, no, what? I hate that picture of me. How many people have said those words? You see, we are the greatest critics of ourselves. We always are. And we put ourselves down. And Jesus says, I've come to set the captives free. I've come to break the judgment. Stop judging yourselves so that I can be the judge of you. Because then you'll be able to be free to walk in this life. We're going to come into a time of communion right now. And as we do, I want you to ask you this. I want to ask you this question. Are you using the fullness of life in Christ? Or are you finding that you're running on two cylinders instead of the six that you've got under the bonnet? I wonder if God is speaking to us as a church, saying, I want you now to stop looking at, at the things that and the signs and looking at all the good things that might be happening in other places and other people. Stop looking for the signs of me being there and discover me. Jesus wants us in this 21 days to discover him. This second week of the fast that some of you are going through, I'm encouraging you to not, last week was a self-reflection, this week is a Jesus reflection. To look into Christ to look into God, to look into the person of the Holy Spirit and to see what you see and to, re and to worship and to praise and to be moved into that because that's what he chose you to do. I want to ask you, are you in Christ? If you're in Christ, do you know his love? Do you know his freedom from judgment? Do you know the broken, the chains that have been smashed? Do you know the fullness of his love? For God so loved you. Do you know his fullness of his love today? Because that's what he wants to trust you with. But it first starts 
with our hearts. I'm going to ask our helpers to give out the cup and the bread. And as they give out that bread, just hold it and the cup, just hold it. If you're visiting, we do this every week because we want us to remember Jesus. It's not a religious act. It's a remembrance, a remembrance act. It's about taking the bread. See, the bread is a reminder that as you hold that bread, you think of the person and the life of Jesus Christ, the Son of God who came to earth and walked among us, who showed to the world that he was the Son of God. And in that little bit of biscuit, there's little marks on it. If you saw the whole piece, you'll see little marks and you'll see bruises and you'll see, you'll see holes. And that's a reminder that he was bruised and afflicted for you and I. See, this person of Jesus, this love gift to you and I, this love gift of you and I from Jesus, from God himself, that love gift is in your hands. And also in your hands you've been given a cup because the cup reminds us of the new covenant. This is the new relation. This is the new rules. It's different now because, you see, Jesus died on the cross and he rose again. But when he died on the cross, the blood that was not spilt but given, poured out for you and I was there so that we would be set free of all that stuff in our hearts that would stop us from him entrusting us. So as you look in your heart right now and you see that there are things, attitudes, selfishness, things that you want God to do for you instead of what you can do for God, those things that get in the way of God saying, I want to be part of you. Lord, I confess those to you now. And I ask your forgiveness. Because he says, you confess your sins, I'll forgive you. And as you hold that bread and you hold that cup, I wonder if you would say, Jesus Christ, I want you to be in me, that I might be in you. Would you entrust yourself in me? Would I know that beautiful love that goes beyond understanding, the love that no man or woman can give, that love that I desperately so need, that love that tells me that I actually am a child of God, that love. If you've never given your life to Jesus, this might be the day to do it where you say, I need, I need a love like that today so that I can love those who are special to me. You can't love unless you've been loved. I want to suggest that he wants to love you and he wants to pour that gift of love in you. Would you ask forgiveness today for judging yourself and let him break the chains of self-judgment and self-criticism because this is the fast that he requires. <laughs> that you be set free today. You would be set free. I am convinced before we eat and drink, I want to tell you, I am convinced that this 
is a new season for many of us in this place where we want to discover Jesus in a new way. And for some of you who've never given your life to Jesus, this could be your opportunity to do that today, to say, Jesus, I'm going to give you my life. I want you to be in me. I want to know that love. I want to know that non-judgment stuff in me. I want to be set free from that. Then, Jesus, I give you my life today. But for some of us, it's saying, I want to go deeper. And I want Jesus to come deeper. Spirit of God, just move as we eat and drink together. Would you move powerfully on on us right now? Amen.